welcome to the Happy Gut Podcast. I'm Jamie Wagner, registered nurse and gut health coach. I believe that gut health is central to your health and well-being. On the Happy Gut Podcast, we talk about how the gut affects every aspect of your health, including your digestion, skin, hormones, mental health, mood, behavior, cravings, weight, and well, basically everything. If you're struggling in any of those areas, then you're in the right place. Or if you simply want to implement healthier habits so you can live more vibrantly, energetically, and joyfully for a longer time, then you're right where you need to be. On the Happy Gut Podcast, my goal is to empower you with science-backed information so you can fix your gut and live your best life. Let's dive into today's topic. Hi there. Welcome, welcome to episode six of the Happy Gut Podcast. In today's episode, I'm going to tell you the differences between what you might think you need to do for good gut health versus what you should actually do. There's a lot of misinformation out there, so let's clear it up. First, I'll talk about some common myths for healing the gut, and then I'll tell you my recommendations for what actually helps balance your gut microbiome, lower inflammation, strengthen your gut lining, and helps you to live a healthier life. So first, let's just dive right into some common myths about gut health. One that I see really frequently is the idea that your gut can be healed if you just take a probiotic. While probiotics can be helpful for some people, it's not the only helpful intervention. And there are good brands out there and some not so good brands. So sifting through that is a whole other challenge. The other problem with just taking a probiotic is that these supplements are transient. They pass through the gut and don't actually stick. In order for the good bacteria to stay, you have to feed them what they like, which are prebiotics. Most people's diets are too low in prebiotics. Another common myth about gut health or holistic health is that you need tons of vitamins and supplements, and that's the first step to healing. However, supplements are what they say they are, what they're called. They are supplemental. They are there as a later step to supplement healthy habits that have already been implemented. You can absorb anywhere from 10 to 90% of your nutrients, which is a huge range, and that includes supplements. So if you're only absorbing a tiny amount, let's say 10%, those supplements could be pointless when you really need to be working on your gut so that you're getting what you need from them. And just like probiotics, some brands are great and some are not so great. I'm not anti-supplement by any means, but just taking them willy-nilly or taking them as a first step or even an only step is not going to heal your gut. There are other things that should be done first. Another common myth I hear is about doing certain diets, like the low FODMAP diet, for example. The low FODMAP diet is often prescribed for people with IBS or other digestive issues. FODMAPs are fermentable carbohydrates that can lead to gas and bloating for some people. While this diet can help with the symptoms for a short period of time, it doesn't get to the root of the issue. For example, a common reason people feel better on the low FODMAP diet is because they have SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. This is a condition where the bacteria is overgrowing in the small intestine when it should mostly be in the large intestine, and the bacteria here in the small intestine are eating these FODMAPs and producing gas. Producing too much gas in the small intestine can lead to uncomfortable bloating, gas, and even acid reflux. Cutting these FODMAPs out for a period of time helps, but it doesn't get rid of the problem, that bacterial overgrowth, so people usually continue to have digestive issues even after. Another common suggestion I hear people getting is to try intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting can be effective for some people, but it's usually best for men rather than women, actually. 
Most studies that have shown benefits of intermittent fasting have been on men rather than women, and studies that have included women have shown that it's not always beneficial to women. This is often due to the differences in our bodies and hormones. For example, one study showed that women who did intermittent fasting had impaired glucose responses when alternating days in which they fasted. Women are also more sensitive to stress, and fasting can put your body into a stress response because it's wondering, where's my food? Now, short-term stress isn't always a bad thing, but if you have gut issues, inflammation, or other symptoms, stress could be hindering your ability to heal. This is due to HPA axis dysfunction. I'm not going to dive super deep into that on this episode, but your HPA axis is your hypothalamus-pituitary-adrenal axis and is a huge part of the stress response in your body and how you handle that stress. If this is altered and you add more stress to your body, it can cause issues. So overall, some versions of intermittent fasting might be okay in some circumstances, but personally, I don't recommend it to people, especially women. Instead, I encourage people to space their meals about three to four hours apart and fast overnight for about 12 hours. That's fairly easy to do, actually, because you could stop eating at 8 p.m., go to sleep, and eat breakfast at 8 a.m., for example. Doing this rather than going long periods of time without food will help to balance your blood sugar, which is important for maintaining a healthy body with less inflammation and stress. The next myth about gut health that I want to talk about is detoxes or cleanses. This could be things like juice cleanses or tea toxes or things like that. This is similar to intermittent fasting in that if you're not getting adequate nutrients, your body can feel stressed and it can put you in a worse spot than you were before. For example, with a juice cleanse, you likely aren't getting much for protein and fat, which are essential for your body to function properly. Fasting can also hinder the detoxification process, and if you're doing a detox diet, your cortisol or your stress hormone levels increase. Your gut plays a big role in detoxification, but a lot of detoxification happens in the liver. The best way to support detoxification is to support the health of your liver, and the best way to detox generally is to eat a diet full of whole foods. It's also helpful to get toxic products out of your house and sweat every once in a while. No cleanses needed. Another big problem I see with people wanting to improve their gut health or just their health in general is over-exercising. This can be in the form of doing too long of workouts along with under-eating or doing too many high-intensity workouts in the form of running, crossfit, high-intensity interval training or HIIT, or other intense workouts. While some people can tolerate these workouts well, people experiencing inflammation, gut imbalances, or other symptoms likely will benefit from doing more low to medium-intensity exercises. This is again about stress in the body. Short-term stress is okay most of the time, but if you're having issues like I previously mentioned, high-intensity workouts could be adding stress to your body, therefore increasing inflammation. You don't have to do crazy long and hard workouts to see the benefits of exercise. Walking, yoga, bar, or Pilates or other low to medium intensity workouts are fantastic to do most of the time. This will put less stress on your body while still getting some good movement into your routine. Some people even have trouble losing weight and wonder why when they're eating fewer calories and doing harder workouts. A lot of the time, it's because of the stress that this is putting on their body. Having too much stress can cause weight gain, so it's best to find an exercise routine and a balance that works for you and your unique body and lifestyle. I briefly mentioned undereating as well. Undereating is a common issue with women specifically. At some point, a myth started that women should be consuming 1,200 calories if they want to lose weight or be healthy, and this is far from the truth. 1,200 calories is the needs of a toddler. 
1,200 calories or even 1,400 calories is too little for an adult woman, especially if you're doing intense exercise. I will say this over and over and over again. Health is not just about calories in and calories out. Quality of ingredients in your food is so important, and making sure you feed yourself enough is vital as well. If you eat too few calories, your body gets stressed out, and even more so if you're doing high-intensity exercise along with that. This can also mess with your hormones, causing even more problems. Okay, now there are probably many more myths out there, but the last one I'll touch on in this episode is food sensitivity tests. These tests have gained a lot of popularity recently, and there are even some companies that will send these tests to your home so you can do it easily without even getting an order from a doctor or going to a lab or a doctor's office. While these tests may seem super helpful and awesome, they have their problems as well. The main issue that I have with these is they aren't super accurate. Food sensitivities are often a result of gut issues. If you remember back to episode two about leaky gut, if you have a gut lining that's too permeable or leaky, food particles can get through and your immune system can cause an inflammatory response. This can make people think they are sensitive or intolerant to that particular food. If you heal the gut, these food sensitivities often actually go away. Some people hold on to a few, like gluten is a common one, for example, but you shouldn't have multiple food sensitivities, especially to tons of healthy foods like a bunch of random fruits and vegetables. These tests can cause people to cut lots of foods out of their diet and can cause a lot of unnecessary stress and even disordered eating down the line. It also then doesn't get to the root of the issue. Fix the root cause and you should be able to tolerate most foods. I don't recommend food sensitivity tests to anyone really, and they should ideally only be done as a last resort after taking the steps to heal the gut. So to sum that up, don't waste your money on a food sensitivity test. All right, I talked about a lot of different myths, and there are more out there that I just don't have time to cover. So I now want to talk about what you should focus on for better gut health. Number one, I wonder if you can guess it, it's food foundations. If you've listened to previous episodes, this is probably getting redundant, but it is so important, so I'll keep shouting it from the rooftops, or in this case, from my little closet into this microphone. Making sure you are eating enough and eating foods that are friendly to your gut microbiome are anti-inflammatory and that balance your blood sugar will go a very long way. There's a lot of conflicting and confusing information out there about nutrition, though. Is red meat bad? Should I be eating eggs? Should my produce be organic? What about coconut oil? Is diet soda better? Should I calculate and track macros? Should I drink oat milk? It's a lot, right? I can't go into all the food foundations in this episode, but the basics of food foundations are cutting out or reducing inflammatory foods and including more gut healing and gut-friendly foods, as well as focusing on blood sugar balance, eating enough to fuel your body, eating slowly without distractions, and even potentially figuring out your food intolerances. If you want all of this nutrition talk to be cleared up for you, I have an online course at a discounted price available to you now called Food Foundations. I go in-depth about the basics of gut health and how it affects your entire body, what foods are inflammatory, which foods are more friendly to your gut, which foods are anti-inflammatory, what the deal is with eggs, soy, sugar, caffeine, organic versus non-organic, gluten, dairy, how to read ingredient labels, how to find food intolerances, how to build a gut-friendly plate, and so much more. I also provide you with a big recipe ebook that I and previous clients absolutely love, as well as other helpful PDF downloads. This course is jam-packed with science-backed information and steps you can take for good nutrition for your gut. 
It's not a diet. I am not about that life, but it's a general guideline to help you get on the path to good gut health that you can take at your own pace. The link to this course is in the show notes, or you can go to www.itsjamiewagner.com food foundations to snag the course at a discounted price. Now, food foundations aren't the only thing to focus on for better gut health. Nutrition is a very big and very important aspect to healing the gut and lowering inflammation, but one mistake people often make is focusing only on the food. Another big piece of the puzzle is stress management and your gut-brain connection. Earlier when I talked about some of the myths, I touched on how these habits can cause stress to your body. Stress is any physical, mental, or emotional factor that initiates the fight-or-flight response in your body. Stress can be real or perceived, but it affects your body in the same way. For example, real stress would maybe be a car accident that injures your body, and perceived stress might be being nervous for a public speaking event that you have tomorrow. In both of these scenarios, fight or flight is initiated. When fight or flight is initiated, your digestion is shut down and put on the back burner, your blood is diverted from your organs to your muscles and brain so that you are ready to run or fight, your cortisol level, or your stress hormone also increases. Now, stress is normal and fine until it becomes chronic. Like I talked about before, your HPA axis works to keep your body in a state where it can respond to ongoing stress by releasing more hormones like cortisol, corticotropin-releasing hormone, and adrenocorticotropic hormone. If your HPA axis is not working properly, a continuous release of these hormones can cause increased belly fat, an altered gut microbiome, leaky gut, IBS symptoms, lowered immunity, an increased risk for bacterial overgrowth in the small intestine or SIBO, food intolerances and allergies, higher risk for acid reflux, indigestion and ulcers, and higher inflammation. So as you can see, managing stress can be crucial to improving these problems. There are many ways to manage stress, and I'll talk about more in the future, but a couple are, number one, improving your eating environment. For example, are you eating slowly and chewing your food thoroughly? Are you calm while you're eating? Or maybe are you distracted by work, your phone, or a TV while you're eating? Working on this helps you to get your body into rest and digest mode so your body can digest properly. Because remember how I said digestion is put on the back burner when you're in fight or flight mode. We want to get you into rest and digest. Number two way to manage stress is breath work. Focusing on your breath and taking deep breaths with a long exhale, even for a minute or two, can help with your stress response and put you into rest and digest. I like to do breath work when I feel anxious, before I eat, if I'm in a hurry, or just when I have a little extra free time. Number three would be exercise. Again, be careful with it. Like I said before, high-intensity exercise can increase stress on your body. If you're struggling with stress or you have symptoms that won't go away, try light movement like going on a walk. Exercises like yoga can even put you into rest and digest mode. And my last tip for now for managing stress is going back to food foundations. Eating processed food, excess sugar, caffeine, and alcohol, for example, can affect your stress in a negative way. There are many other ways to manage stress, but those are just a few examples that I thought I'd let you know about. Another thing you should focus on for better gut health is eliminating toxins. Now, I don't mean doing a detox or a cleanse. We talked about that. No, no, no. I mean eliminating toxins from your household and beauty products, your food, water, maybe even the air, and so on. There are a lot of toxins in our world today, so my tips to lowering these are to replace your cleaning products, makeup, hair products, soaps, lotions, detergents, and more with less toxic options. I like to refer to the Environmental Working Group, or EWG, app for suggestions. 
I also recommend getting rid of candles, plug-ins, or other things with fragrances, colorants, and preservatives. These can cause allergies, skin irritation, and other uncomfortable symptoms, but these potentially toxic products could also be considered endocrine disruptors. This means that these chemicals can interfere with or mimic your body's hormones. This means they can cause weight gain, alter the gut microbiome, affect blood sugar, and more. I think that's truly fascinating and equally scary. Other things to consider would be drinking from a glass water bottle instead of plastic or using glass Tupperware instead of plastic, filtering your water, getting an air filter, getting house plants to help filter the air, eating organic when possible to get rid of those pesticides, and so on. Another important factor to focus on for good gut health is sleep quality. Your gut microbiome is actually on a circadian rhythm, and poor sleep can disrupt your hormones, including your hunger hormone ghrelin and your satiety hormone leptin, causing you to be hungrier than normal and less sensitive to feeling full. During sleep, information is processed, food and nutrients are processed, your organs recharge, and your microbiome resets. It also, of course, benefits your brain health, and there is a strong gut-brain connection. It all connects, right? And lastly, I wanted to briefly touch on certain medications. Some medications are necessary, of course, and if you're taking one and are thinking of stopping, please talk to your doctor first. This is not medical advice. Some medications can interfere with good gut health, so it could be beneficial to take a look at what you're taking. For example, antibiotics can kill off both good and bad bacteria. They are needed at times, but when they are prescribed frequently, it can cause dysbiosis or an imbalance of bacteria in the gut, which can lead to problems, such as bacterial overgrowths of bacteria that you don't want, or even fungal overgrowths. So avoiding them when appropriate and making sure you also take a probiotic or eat fermented foods can be helpful. Another example is acid blockers. Low stomach acid can actually cause acid reflux. It sounds backwards, but it's true. Acid blockers can make this issue worse, and many times people take acid blockers for a very long period of time, which can be harmful. You need sufficient stomach acid in order to break down and digest your food properly. I will touch on this more in the future. Another example is birth control. Research has shown that birth control pills can disrupt your gut microbiome and can even lead to overgrowth of bacteria or fungus as well as immune dysregulation, leaky gut, and inflammation. I am not the expert on this, so I recommend if you want to learn more to check out Dr. Jolene Brighton's book called Beyond the Pill. NSAIDs, or non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen or naproxen, can also cause gut issues, so ensuring you aren't overdoing it with these can be helpful in creating a healthier gut. These are just a few examples of medications that could potentially be a problem for your gut health. Unfortunately, I don't have enough time to cover absolutely everything about all the myths out there about gut health, as well as what you should do for better gut health. This is due to not only time constraints, but remember that every single person is unique and has different bio-individual needs. This is why it's helpful to work with someone that has an understanding of gut health or functional medicine and can help you figure out what works best for your unique body. But you can get started with some of the strategies I told you about in this episode. So go out there and live your best gut-healthy life, and I'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Happy Gut Podcast. I'll be back next week with another episode. If you liked it, I'd love it if you could leave a positive review. I'd also love it if you shared it with your friends and family, maybe your coworkers, maybe your uh, barista. 
whoever. You can find all sources and a link to my website in the show notes. You can follow me on Instagram and TikTok at It's Jamie Wagner. See you next time.